this morning. And Lord, we just ask that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship. And Lord, that we would be able to accomplish that great goal. To bring our worship before the Most High God. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict and work in our hearts. And Lord, that we could leave this place different than when we came. Closer to you. More obedient to your word. And Lord, more able to serve you in these last days in this world in which we live. We ask you to work and be honored and glorified. Bless the special music. And Lord, let us sing these hymns as unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And here we'll read what I hope is a familiar story to you from the Scriptures. The stories in the Bible are moments of real lives lived. They're a preserved history for us to examine, to see what actually happened in real lives when they faced the Creator. We want to be able to live a better life. I mean, that's uh, the hope that I think lies within every human uh, heart. But there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And there are choices that you can make that will bring you into more peace and more harmony and more joy. And there are choices that you can make that will bring you into utter pain, misery, and suffering. And we're talking about just here on earth, not even in eternity. Of course, the choices that we make during this life determine our eternity. And as we read this story here, I want us to look into this story and the word that I want to center on is the word unbelief. You know what? You don't have to be uh, an unsaved person, uh, uh, I want to say to enjoy, but there's nothing to enjoy about unbelief, uh, to enjoy the suffering of unbelief. Saved people suffer from unbelief. And uh, let's just get right into the story here, and let's look at Mark, I mean Matthew chapter 17, and uh, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. How many fathers have said that of their sons? Uh, you will quote the Bible if you speak English, amen? Uh, out of context, of course, uh, he had a little more reason than most to say this. He said, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now let's turn over to Mark chapter 9, and this is Mark's telling of the same story. And let's just look at verse 21. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. 
And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, as we've read this story in two uh, different books, in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark, we've seen this word, unbelief. By the way, the word unbelief is not a common word in your Bible. Uh, I believe only 17 times in the entire Bible is the word used. And so, when this word is found there, we better pay attention, especially when two of the uh, uses of that word are in the exact same story, but they're in different places. I hope you took notice of that. As we read in Matthew's commentary, Jesus looked at the disciples when they said, why couldn't we accomplish this deed? Why could not we help this young man? He said it was because of your unbelief. And as we read here in Mark's that Verse is just one of those verses I I hope and pray it does to your heart as it does mine, just jumps off the page where the Father cries out with tears. He says, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And of course, as we read through the Bible, we know that Jesus solved the problem of unbelief. Not only in the life of this man with his son that was had all of these issues, but in the disciples' lives as well. And so, I want us to look first at the Father of the Son and understand some things, because the Father did not believe that Jesus could help His Son. I mean, He did like most of us do. God can do anything. I know that. But will he do it for me? Will he intervene in this situation? Now, let's not sit in judgment of this man. He had been a long time in this trouble. The Bible says it was since he was a child. There was some demonic influence in this young man's life. And people try to make light of this and they try to uh, say it really doesn't exist. But I'll tell you what. Why does Hollywood keep making movies about it? And we have people that have unexplainable behavioral problems that cannot be solved no matter what is done to try to help them. Sometimes people are ashamed and they'll, they'll come, Pastor, I, I know you don't believe in this. I, I know that that's just, it's not right, but, but I hear voices. I don't play that down. The world is full of voices, my friend. And because of decisions that we make, you can get tuned in on the wrong frequencies. You can be hearing and influenced by things that God never intended to be an influence, never intended for you to hear. Drugs have often in ancient history been used to alter the state of perception and understanding so that you can make contact with forces that God never intended a human being to make contact with. That's what happened in this young man's life. He was controlled by this thing. I mean, think about what he went through as he was trying to raise this son and never a moment's rest. It said oftentimes he'd be walking past a fire and this little boy would break loose and jump into the fire. 
They might be walking along a river bank and he would break loose and try to jump into the river and drown himself. Now, do you think you would uh, talk to everybody you know if your child behaved that way? I believe this man did. I believe when he came to Jesus, it was his last hope. You know what the problem was? When he finally heard of who Jesus was and the things that he did and made his way dragging this little boy there because uh, who wasn't a little boy anymore. Because children, after a long time, stop being children. I mean, they might act like children when they're grown up, but um, you get to that teenage uh, uh, series there. And I'll tell you what, you're not going to treat a teenager like you do a four-year-old now, are you? I mean, it took some effort to get this young man to where Jesus was. And guess who wasn't there? Jesus wasn't there. His disciples were. And they failed. Now, you talk about a hopeless situation, I I think that that would qualify for a hopeless situation, don't you? I mean, he had been to the synagogue, I am sure. He had been to whatever medical care that they had. He had done whatever that, that a good father could do. And all of it was to no avail. And finally, he gets to a point to where he hears that there is hope in this person called Jesus. And he goes there and Jesus isn't there. And as the disciples are doing their thing, and you read the rest of the stories here, you'll find that the scribes and the Pharisees were all there, and they were trying to help out. I mean, who wouldn't want to help in a situation like this? Who wouldn't want to be the one that would bring the cure and, and, and make this young man whole again and restore some peace and sanity to their lives? And so they were all disputing. Maybe you said the words the wrong way. Uh, maybe you didn't use the right inflection. You know, Hebrew is a very difficult language. And, and uh, let's, let's work on that. And maybe you weren't... Uh, uh, um, hmm, uh, maybe you ought to turn around three times or some foolishness that people engage in. And here comes Jesus. And so the whole crowd starts running in that direction. And the man comes forward as the central theme of the problem. And as soon as that boy, that young man, sees Jesus, he lets out a soul-splitting scream because he knows who Jesus is. Now, one of these days I'm going to preach a sermon on the demons treat Jesus better than most Christians do. Read it in your Bible. And so as this man comes and he says, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. Nobody can do anything. Can you do something? And he goes through the story once again, telling of all the horrible things that have happened to him in the life of this boy. And Jesus gives him what, what we would say a pat answer. He just gives him one of those simple little statements. He says, uh, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now, is that the answer to the man's problem? Absolutely. But how many times have you tried to solve a problem by just believing? How, how many times turn on TBN and some of the, just believe! And, and you listen to some of these broadcasters and they would put the onus on you and say, listen, it, it's your problem you're not healed and it's your problem you're not rich and it's your problem you're not well. Wait a minute, that's not what Jesus is talking about. You see, 
I want to challenge you. We have a world that is full of belief. Do we not? I mean, we have people who believe in global warming. It's hilarious. I I love God's sense of humor. As they're going on a global warming expedition and he freezes the ship in the Arctic ice that's not supposed to be there because global warming is making it disappear. And they can't get it out. In fact, they send another ship to get them out. They get stuck. And finally, they have to fly a helicopter in to rescue them. And by the way, where is the ship? It's still in the ice. But people believe in that stuff. You know, there are people that believe in the goodness of mankind. That we are really good and we love to help other people. Could I challenge you? Read the newspaper. Uh, Tune into any, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Uh, I mean, don't stand around and try to tell me about the goodness that dwells in the heart of mankind. I've read the Bible. It says the heart is deceitfully wicked, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And every day, Mankind proves the Bible is right. And there is no goodness in mankind. Yet people believe that, do they not? I mean, the baseline of communism is what? Everybody will work to the fullest extent of their ability to produce and share it with everybody else. Well, then why does it take an army to make that happen? Because there's no good in here. The Bible says so. I mean, could, should we go on? I mean, there are people that believe that praying to statues and offering rice to images of great people who have lived in the past... The rats feast on the rice and the children starve to death outside the temples. People believe in all kinds of things. Of course, you know what one of my favorite strange and ridiculous beliefs is? That man got here by accident and evolved from animals. Now, evolution... I had a big debate a couple weeks ago. You know what happened? The people who believed they came from monkeys left believing they came from monkeys. And the people who went in believing they were created in the image of God left believing they were created in the image of God. That's why we don't believe in debate. A good debater ought to be able to win both sides of the debate. God's Word is not up for debate. It's either true or it's not. And I will be the first one to tell you that the only way you can believe that this book is true is through a word called faith. And what was Jesus' first statement to his disciples? O faithless and perverse generation. He was not talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He was talking to his disciples. And we're going to get to them in a minute. But in the whirlpool, in the, the, the floating jetsam of all beliefs, as, as this father was trying to wade through all of this mess, He finally comes to Jesus, and Jesus' disciples fail. And in his mind, Jesus had failed. And Jesus gives him this simple answer that has been so abused and misused that it would be hard for us to recognize it as Scripture today. You see, it's not... Just believing. You've got to believe in the right thing. Do you see the difference? 
See, I don't understand the faith of our politicians. It far exceeds any faith that I have ever experienced in my life. And I'm not just trying to criticize this morning. But when we take our politicians who believe that their government is going to solve all of our problems, I sit here and go, that's incredible faith. In what? You see, true Bible faith has to be in something real. That's why just believing doesn't work. I don't care how many times you touch the TV screen. I don't, and make sure you don't lick your fingers before you do it. I mean, you just might get sensation, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Amen? Um, the simple, simple truth is that Jesus was not saying, believe in the temple. Believe in the sacrifice. He's saying you have to believe in the law of God. And if you believe in the Ten Commandments, it demands that you believe in Jesus Christ. You see, you can't embrace the Ten Commandments and not embrace the author of the Ten Commandments. And we've said this, I've said this many times, the Ten Commandments are not a ladder for which you to climb upon to get to God. Every one of them is a death sentence in the life of every human being that lives on earth. They condemn us. By the way, you can't break any until you've broken the first. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If God was really in charge, then you would be obedient to everything in the Bible. Anybody want to stand up and say, that's me. I've done it. Never once have I done anything wrong. Now, it's kind of cute with little children. They'll start awakening in their understanding of Jesus. and I want to get saved. Oh, yes. Okay, well, we want you to be saved. Uh, have you ever sinned? Oh, no, I've never done anything like that. Now, that's cute when a little child does that. And we know that that's part of the growing process. It's not very cute when a 40-some-year-old person looks at you and says, That's not me. I, I've never done any of those things. Well, you just broke another one. You told a lie. You see... And this is so elementary that I don't want to insult you by saying this, but in our society today and in the world in which we live and in the choices that we make, I believe that we need to spend a little bit of time here. Uh, if you believe in something, that means you have to unbelieve the opposite. Now, how many of you that was a revelation? Something new you never thought about. But could I challenge you, we do that every day. We say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God and I believe that He died on the cross to forgive my sins. But you just don't understand if, if I don't tell just a little lie here Really bad things are going to happen to me, so it must be okay. And we go on into the path. What did you just do? Let me tell you something. You just unbelieved Jesus so that you could do what you felt was expedient and what was necessary. We still live in the United States of America. Guess what? I don't know anyone who has been put to death for telling the truth. Now, there are people that claim it, but then you've got to understand something. Truth does not belong to you. Truth is not something 
unless you're a politician, (laughs) that can be molded and remade and used. You see, truth is truth because it is truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Pilate was sitting in judgment of Jesus, Jesus said, I've come to bear record of the truth. What was Pilate's response? What is truth? The consummate politician, nothing new. He was staring at truth. But see, to him, truth was one of those things that was used to further political ends. You see, when Jesus told the the father of this child, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. The father understood something. He understood that he needed to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. But in believing in the person of Jesus Christ, that demanded he was going to have to, if if you'll forgive the use of this terminology, he would have to unbelieve all of this behind him. He would have to turn his back on every good thing that he had done in his life to try to help his son so that he could believe on Jesus Christ. Hello? Do you, did, you, did you get that one? Do you agree with me on that? You see, he had to turn his back on all the things that he had done even though they were good and in the good intentions of his heart. He had to leave those behind him. Guess what? They didn't work. And he had to look to Jesus alone. Do you think that's why he cried out, I believe, help thou my unbelief? He said, I know what I've got to do, but there's something inside of me that just... I'm not sure that it's sincere and and in dealing with many people over the years about their soul and their eternal security. They'll they'll say, now just a minute, Pastor, there's no way I can live the entire Christian life and and there's no way I can be that good. How How can I believe Jesus and just everything's going to change? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What have you been believing in, my friend? What have you been trying to do? Don't you think it's time to let go and ask God to help you believe in the right things? Ask God to help you unbelieve the wrong things? Because that's where you have to be if Christ is going to have freedom to work. You see, no person can understand everything about the Christian life before they get saved. Any more than a baby can understand all about life before he or she is born. That's why God calls it the new birth. Amen? Somebody other than the baby has to do the work. It's called mama. In the spiritual realm, it's Jesus. How many of you remember that day when you finally gave up believing in all the things that you could possibly try to hope to do? And just stood before Jesus and said, I believe that you did it all. You know, in the Baptist church, we believe in the cross. But it's empty. Because it is finished. 
I come to Jesus. And I just believe. But you know what? There's an awful lot of things that just aren't quite right when I got saved. But if I just believe in Jesus, He'll help that unbelief. And He'll take care of those things. You see, Jesus will save you today. Just as He healed this young man. If you'll just give up your unbelief in Jesus. If you'll give up your belief in anything else. You know, you read in the Old Testament, God says, I am a jealous God. And you know what people do? Wait a minute. Jealousy's a bad thing. How can God be jealous? That, that doesn't make sense. No, let me tell you something. What Jesus Christ did for you deserves everything. And God says, I'm not going to take 50%. I'm not going to be satisfied with 98.5%. I'm not going to be satisfied with 99.998% which is the equivalency for pure silver or pure gold, God says, that's not pure enough for me. It's got to be 100%. And in order to believe God, I've got to unbelieve some other things. Now, I'm so glad today as the pastor of this church, that I can stand behind this pulpit and yell as loud as I want, this church cannot save you. I am so glad to tell you, you don't have to come tell me every wrong thing that you've ever done. All you got to do is tell Jesus. Amen? I'm glad to tell you that you cannot help Him save you. All you got to do is believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but if, I, if I give that up, uh, what, about, what about all the good things that men have done? What about it? If we took the sum total of every good thing accomplished by every human being, in all of history, and we're able to distill it and put it into one life, it still wouldn't be acceptable in the sight of God. So, what about... I, I unbelieve. Because I want to believe in Jesus. I've had people... I had a guy several years ago come up and he said, I'm leaving your church. It's not my church. Well, I'm leaving it. I said, okay, why? He says, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. I said, you know, if you got a reason to leave our church, that's a good one. Because that's the only book we have. He says, you don't give credibility to anybody else. Amen, that's good preaching. You don't believe that there can be anything good accomplished by man. Amen. You see, the Bible says if I'm going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that means I can't believe in, on, or about anything else. What about the church? Well, the real church helps you after you're saved. Because only God can give you salvation. Because only Jesus died on the cross. And so I don't believe in a church. Well, I knew a Bible-believing Christian that said he loved God and was a great preacher just like you are. And he did some terrible things. Welcome to the human race. But am I going to leave? Am I going to allow the wickedness, the unbelief in that man's life or that woman's life to be greater than my belief in God. I'm not going to. 
It's not worth it. Why am I going to let this person over here that doesn't know how to believe in God determine and change my belief in God? You see, the Bible says, He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I believe God is, and I believe God is good. And by the way, I believe only God is good. And I believe if we find good, true good in the life of any human being, it's because God did something in that heart. And guess what? How many of you gave a present to somebody at Christmas time this year? Now, let's qualify that. How many of you gave a present at Christmas time because you wanted to show somebody that you cared for them and appreciated them and you loved them? How many of you did that? You know why you did that? You don't have to be saved to imitate what God did when He sent Jesus. Amen? But why do we do that? Because God did it. We, but that doesn't mean you're saved. Salvation means that you believe in Jesus. You know what that man did? He said, Lord, I believe. He said, help thou my unbelief. You know, I, I hope I'm not being confusing this morning, but that unbelief has to work both ways. My lack of belief on Jesus needs to be turned into belief. And my belief in the things of this world and in the good things that I accomplish must be turned into unbelief. So when he helps my unbelief, he's got to help me both ways. Everybody still together? Just go like this. Say amen. Because now we're going to go to back to Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to talk about the unbelief of the disciples. But, but Pastor, they, they already believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They, they already had salvation. Yes, they did. But when they came up against this wall... Jesus said their problem in verse 20, because of your unbelief. You mean a saved person can have a problem with unbelief? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you that know that you're saved today have ever doubted your salvation? Would you just lift a hand up to that? Uh, guess what? That's unbelief. Now, isn't it? Because if you had a doubt, you weren't believing. But I, I want to challenge you, Jesus is here to fix unbelief. It has to happen in the life of the unsaved person to bring them to salvation. But it also has to happen in the life of the saved person over and over again to get rid of all those things that are tagging along from the old life. Now, have I really confused you? Let's see if we can straighten it out. You see, Luke chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, Jesus had given his disciples authority over the devils. And he had sent them to heal the sick and to preach the kingdom of God. He had told them that they had his power to get this job accomplished. And guess what? They didn't even need a TV camera and an offering plate to get the job done. I mean, they just went everywhere and Jesus followed after those disciples and preached in the towns that they preached in. And many, many, many people believed on Jesus Christ. 
But the disciples were there gathered together at the bottom of this mountain while Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And you can read the story of the transfiguration. It happened just before this. And while he was gone, this man with this lunatic son that could not be controlled came up. And the disciples said, Jesus gave us the power to deal with this. Be gone or whatever they said. And nothing happened. And when they confronted Jesus afterwards, said, why, why couldn't we do this? He said, because of your unbelief. Saved people can battle with unbelief. You don't lose your salvation. But here's what you lose. You lose the ability to do what Jesus wants you to do. Amen? Are we together? You got to think. Or you'll really get confused. Because how can someone that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved now unbelieve and make a mess of things? Happens. Doesn't it? And so there's got to be Something to do. And Jesus gives us a cure for this. Look at verse 20. He says, For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, could I challenge you today that Jesus was using a grammatical form that we call hyperbole. He, he was using an exaggeration to try to help us understand what was going on. This is not a command for all of God's people to go find a mountain and say, Be removed to this yonder place. I don't think God's going to answer that prayer. Because how many people would have to die for your mountain to be removed while someone else was wanting it to go the other direction? I mean, that would be confusion. And by the way, if anybody ever got that accomplished, what would be the first thing they would do? I did it! I did it! I prayed it moved at my command! All you bow down and worship me. God's not into that. He is trying to explain how powerful faith really is. He is trying to show us that the teeniest amount of faith is capable of accomplishing impossible things. Things above our comprehension. Things above our understanding. I'll tell you, the greatest faith that you can exercise is when God changes someone's heart. Little Johnny was standing up in class. This was in the old days when I was in school. And the teacher said, Johnny, sit down. I ain't going to do it, teacher. Johnny, I said, sit down. And Johnny wouldn't sit down. So the teacher went over and grabbed both shoulders and said, I said, sit down. That gets you sued today. And little Johnny looked up and said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know what? That's the way a lot of people believe in God. You know, God can sit you down if He wants to. He can lay you out. But why should He waste the time on someone who really doesn't care 
what God is doing. Hello? He was mad at the disciples. He said, you need to understand how powerful faith is. Just the teeniest amount could accomplish as much as our most powerful weapons that we have today. That's what Jesus was saying. Remove a mountain. Jesus said it just takes a grain of mustard seed of faith. He said, the only problem is, how be it, in the next verse, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Oh, I got it now. No, 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 no. That's not Bible. God doesn't want you to think about nothing. He wants you to think about something. He wants you to think about Him. He wants your life to be filled with Him. You know, this thing called prayer. Boy, you... You, you listen to what people say about prayer, and, and it, is, it is frightening. I met a guy one time years ago, and he said, <clears throat> said, I'm a good prayer. He said, God hears me when I pray. He said, I was driving home one day, and God said, uh, go to the grocery store and buy a bag of groceries. So I did. And then he told me, turn right on this street and turn left on this street and stop at the third house and give them the groceries. He said, and I knocked on the door and I said, God told me to give you these groceries. And they were very happy. Now, let me ask you a question. If somebody showed up on your doorstep and said, God told me to give you groceries. You go, yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. When are you leaving are you actually going to give me the groceries or is there a bomb in that bag? Now, am I being ridiculous? Am I the only one that would think that way? How many of you think that way? As soon as the guy left, you'd be looking through just to make sure there's not something bad in there. I see some heads going up and down. Thank you. I wanted to make sure I wasn't the only oddball in the group here this morning. That's not God! That's not prayer. I don't know what that is. Except some horrible excuse for pride. He thought he had accomplished something. I, I have a word for it. It's called mental deficiency. Amen? The Bible is not a game that you play. Prayer is not a toy that you use to demonstrate your greatness or your ability. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is learning how to be under the influence of this book and the Holy Spirit of God to go to God and ask Him for what Jesus wants you to ask Him for. When we say, in Jesus' name, amen, and end our prayer, that's what we're claiming. But how many times does that actually happen compared to how many times we say it? Hey, this kind goeth not forth but by prayer. And then the next word is one that we Baptists have a little problem with sometimes. Fasting. You mean I've got to give up food? I like food. There, there'll be less of me if I give up food. I'll starve to death. That's not what the Bible's talking about. You won't die if you skip lunch and spend it in prayer. Amen? You may feel like it, but we had Esau this morning. I mean, let's, let's leave that one alone. Amen? You know what fasting does? Fasting says 
that I'm going to take this thing that is good, that is right, that is important, and I'm going to say no to it. Because I want to believe that God is more important than my daily food. That's what fasting is. I, I want to believe that God is more important than my sleep. Someone said, I'm going to fast, preacher, this week. I'm going to turn off my TV set. That's not fasting. That's obedience. Amen? You see, we're going to try to wrap this up quickly. Unbelief in God is the natural response of the human soul. Would you agree with me on that? Yes? If, if you don't, then we've got to start all over again because we ha- I haven't explained it correctly. Unbelief is the natural response of the human soul toward God. The only solution is the application of this book right here. Because this is the only place I can really find out about God. You know what this book tells me? I need to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I can't wait until we get started to work on that empty tomb that's going to sit behind the pulpit. Because I want everybody to walk in to be reminded there's an empty cross and there's an empty tomb. Because we serve a living Lord. Amen? The only way you can get saved is you've got to give up your belief in everything else and believe only in Jesus Christ. But what works to get you saved will work to help you live today. It's given up me. Prayer is something God has given to corral the desires of the human soul. Fasting is something that God has given us to show us that we don't need our daily food near as important as we need belief in God. That we don't need this great problem that is in our life solved near as much as we need to be surrendered to a holy God. You see, unbelief will keep you out of heaven. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am He, you're going to die in your sins. But unbelief, even after you're saved, though you're going to go to heaven, will stop God's work in your life. It will stop you from being able to be a help to other people. I've been in church services where because there were people there that did not share the faith in this book called the Bible, you couldn't enjoy the preaching in the service because the spirit of unbelief was greater than the spirit of belief. That's a tragic thing. It ought never happen in a true Bible-believing church. But I'm here to tell you, it does. And it can happen in this church if we're not careful. You say, well, how can I have unbelief? Well, it's very simple. What does the Bible say you're not doing? Have you been saved? If you're not saved, you're living in unbelief. It's time to give it up. You can get saved today. All you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. 
help thou my unbelief. God will do it. You know, if you're saved, if you're trusting Jesus as your Savior, and I'm not trying to step on toes or, or be mean or anything, but if you're, if you're saved and you haven't followed the Lord in baptism, that's unbelief. You need to get rid of that today. You need to serve God through His church. And that happens when you surrender to God's Word. Amen? Guess what? The Bible says you need to get along with other Christians. Have you ever thought the reason I can't get along with that person is because of unbelief? Yeah, it's their unbelief. Well, that may be the case. But how about you get your unbelief fixed first? Amen? We, if the disciples could have a problem with unbelief walking with Jesus, don't you think you could have a problem with unbelief? We need to learn, you know, prayer meeting is our least attended service. You know why? Because it's the only one that we ask you to work at. Everybody. Prayer is work. Real prayer is the resurrender of ourself. It's something God's given us to remind us about our unbelief. Amen? We probably need to schedule another day of prayer and fasting. We haven't had one for a while. You know what? I don't know about you, but as your pastor, I want to see God work. I want to see God do something in Brooklyn. We're struggling. We're not finding a place to meet. That's not Brother Newberger's fault. That's something that we have to trust God for. But if we want to get more trust in God, if we want to get rid of our unbelief so that God can work, what are we going to have to do? Prayer and fasting. So everybody's coming back tonight, right? And people smile because they know that's not true. Unbelief. It's something you will deal with as long as you are in human flesh. We don't have time. Not going to take it. Read Ephesians chapter 6. The armor of God is not for slashing the sword of the Spirit in the face of those who don't believe the Bible. It's for praying always with all supplication and prayer in the Spirit. That's what the armor of God is about. That's what Jesus meant. He was making the connection, though Paul hadn't written it yet. This kind goeth out by nothing but by prayer. It's got to be the right kind of prayer. Fasting. It's got to be the right kind of fasting. If I'm going to really believe in Jesus, guess what? I'm going to have to unbelieve in some other things. If I am disobeying Jesus, I'm unbelieving Jesus so that I can grab a hold of whatever it is over here. I'll tell you what, not a good place to be, my friend. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the simple story of this man that had a son that could not be healed except by Jesus Christ. Lord, just ask that during this time of invitation we would deal with unbelief today. Lord, if there's someone here that is not saved, that today they would deal with that unbelief and simply as the father in the story, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You're such a gracious and merciful God. You will save whosoever will. Yet, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be able to bring each one of us face to face with our unbelief. And that we would surrender 
that to the belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who died on the cross and saved us from all of our sins. Lord, I pray that we would see the working of that mustard grain of faith in real life situations. Meet the needs of those that are assembled right here this morning. Lord, we put ourselves at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.